1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. It has been a tough start to 2019 for many celebrities or many icons of the 1970s. It's just they're, they're dropping like flies. I mean, yesterday we, we talked about the passing of Mean Gene Okerlund, who was the announcer for, if you grew up around here, the American Wrestling Association, and then later on the WWF and WWE, and then Dave um, Einstein, who was um, better known as Super Dave, Super Dave Osborne, um, uh, who was, of course, on all sorts of programs in the 70s. And then later on yesterday, it was revealed that Daryl Dragon, who was the captain in the Captain and Tennille, he ended up passing away as well. And I think, again, you forget kind of, you know, how, how big the Captain and Tennille were. This, this was their big song, probably. Catchy. I mean, that love will keep us together. They did other things as as well, but I mean, that that was the big one. And and interestingly, um, he was, of course, Daryl Dragon was married to Tony Tennille. She was the singer, and so it was a captain and Tennille. And they they got divorced a couple years ago. But I I think it was something weird. The, the divorce was all because he was very very sick, and it was something to do, as I recall, with, with like getting him medical coverage or something like that but she was at his side when he passed away okay so that that's that's three yesterday mean gene okerland super dave and and the captain and today uh the announcement is now you, you might not know the guy um ray sawyer if i say ray sawyer maybe that that you know gets a you draw a blank on that but back in the 70s there was another band that was very very big it was called dr hook and the medicine show and um Ray Sawyer was was Dr. Hook. He had an eye patch that was on that he wore. He wasn't the lead singer, but he did sing some songs. And uh Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show had had one big song that I think everybody knows and Ray Sawyer was the lead singer on it. Here here's that song. Well, we're big rock singers, we got golden fingers, and we're loved everywhere we go. That sounds like us. We sing about beauty, and we sing about truth, at $10,000 a show. Right. We take all kind of pills to give us all kind of thrills, but the thrill we never know is the thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. All right, that is my earworm gift. You know, once I saw this morning that, that Ray Sawyer passed away, he was 81. Interestingly, all three of the guys that died yesterday, Mean Gene Okerlund, um, Super Dave Osborne, and, and the captain, they all passed, they were all 76. How weird is that? All three of them were 76. Ray Sawyer, again, Dr. Hook from Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, he was uh, he was 81, passed away as well. So the, the, the first two or three days of 2019, very, very, 
very, very hard on, again, celebrities from the 1970s. What is the takeaway of this? Well, actually, it's it caused me, and I sent out a tweet about this as well, it caused me to, to think about again how how short life really is and i i went back to another song by a another icon from the 1970s and if you grew up around here and of a certain age chances are you probably saw the the late great steve goodman in in concert he was the guy that came up with uh the the song he was the author of the song uh city of new orleans but um, he passed away from leukemia um, a number of years ago, back in the 80s, and he, he still has some songs which are incredibly relevant. So I was thinking about all these different passings, and it, it actually reminded me of, of a Steve Goodman song. Here's the chorus. You better get it while you can. You better get it while you can. If you wait too long, it'll all be gone and you'll be sorry then. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. And it's the same for a woman or a man. From the cradle to the crypt is a mighty short trip, so you better get it while you can. That is the lesson, I guess, of the last couple days. You better get it while you can. Back in just a minute, 1213, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Don't go anywhere. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't make New Year's resolutions as a general rule because I find them difficult to difficult to follow. But one that I've made, and I'm going to really work on this year, is I want to be much better at, at sending out tweets. And I've been pretty good about it so far. Um, if you you know want to if you want to get access to that Steve Goodman song I just played, um, it's contained in one of the tweets that I just sent out. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 plus a number of tweets that give you an idea of where we're going to go on today's program over the course of the next couple hours. I promise I am going to be a lot better with that. So one of the things that I am going to be better at this year is, again, sending out tweets so you can follow me and participating more in that aspect of social media. One thing I am not necessarily a fan of is is some of the these fads and stuff that people do in an effort to try to make sure that they're that make themselves believe that they're going to get healthy. For example, over the last couple weeks, I have been I've been really good. I've been going to a gym. I got off the air yesterday. I I was 45 minutes after I got off the air, my chunky butt was on a treadmill. Did about two and a half miles yesterday, and I've been. I've been going back to the gym for the last couple of weeks. Now that's not a part of a of a New Year's resolution. It's part of my Energizer Bunny wife Fran, who has said, "Okay, this year we are we are going to be healthier." And so, you know, she's been going to the gym with me, and we've been kind of doing this as a couple. It's not something that I think is going to. It's not something I did as part of a New Year's resolution. It's something I did because I need to do it, and because I have the empathy of my lovely wife who's pushing me along with it. And so, I don't think it's something that, that's going to fade. There are, however, some fads that are out there, and this is one that is getting a lot of attention. It's called Dry January. Now, Gru, you've, you've actually heard about this. You have. Um, Scafidi and Bilstead had not heard about this, but you actually have a friend who does this. All right. Dry January. It, it really it started in, in Great Britain a couple years ago, um, and it's becoming a government-backed health campaign in Great Britain, but it, it's making it, it's it's making the rounds. 
essentially dry January means that people swear off alcohol for the entire month. You, you say you will not drink at all during January. Now, the idea behind this is that, first of all, they say, okay, well, if you're not going to consume alcohol, first of all, the idea is in December, holiday parties, holiday season, people tend to overeat, people tend to perhaps drink too much. So this is kind of a, a cleansing to get things back in, in line. In addition, the thinking behind dry January is for, for many people, or at least some people, if you decide that you're not going to drink in January, maybe you'll just decide, well, I, I don't miss alcohol, and you'll get rid of alcohol completely from, from your system. The argument being, again, that if people are not, not drinking even in moderation, it will ultimately be healthier for them. Now, I am too late for dry January this year. I was too late for dry January Oh, about five o'clock on New Year's Day, <laughs> I think when when, you know, I, I think I had a glass of bourbon or, or something like that. But I have been sort of studying this and I have been, I mean, seeing that some people believe that this is really by doing something like this. It's really the key to maybe starting to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, first of all, I'm not going to be the poster child for alcohol abuse. Don't don't get me wrong with with that. And and I think obviously, you know, people have to make their own decisions when it comes to whether they consume alcohol or or not. My experience though has been that whether it's a crash diet or it's a fad, like a, a dry January thing. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to drink for January. That typically, th- those things don't work. I mean, now it's one thing if you decide, all right, I, I want to give up alcohol, or I want to cut back on alcohol, and I want to consume no more than like three beers a week, or no more than three glasses of wine. And if you want to make that a decision, well, okay, and then you can live by that. Maybe overall that's something that's sustainable. But I, I know so many people who have done things like this or have gone on some of the various diets that are out there. All right, we're going to eat nothing but meat or we're going to eat no meat or, or whatever. And it's it's worked, I mean, temporarily for, you know, a few weeks or whatever. You lose 15 pounds, but then inevitably it becomes something that is unsustainable and you end up going back to your old habits. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does something like a dry January, does that have any appeal to you? Do you think that that has any sort of impact in long-term health, or is it just you know, kind of a silly fad, perhaps not worth the effort? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I think, again, if, if you want to make health resolutions, that that's fine. I'm going to go back to the gym more, and you want to keep it. I'm going to cut down my alcohol intake during the year. All right, that's fine. But the idea of staying, I'm go- saying I'm going to abstain for the month of January, but then look out because once February 1st rolls around, we're having a big party. To me, it, it hardly seems like it's worth the effort. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1222. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
All right, dry January. If you haven't heard about this, this is one of the sort of things that's making the rounds on the Internet now. It started in Great Britain, the whole idea being don't drink in January. It will make you healthier. Um, Here's one of the experts. I say that in quotation marks. Dry January should be seen as the impetus to change people's relationship with alcohol forever. Okay, well, I mean, here... Here's, here's the bottom line. If, if as a New Year's resolution, you decide, hey, I, I don't I don't want to drink as much as I did because whatever reason, you got issues with alcohol or it's, you know, making it difficult to lose weight or whatever. I respect all that. And then you make the change. But the idea that you're going to do this simply and it's going to be healthier by abstaining in january i don't buy it to me it's like going on the fad diets where you again you eat nothing but meat or you don't eat meat or whatever stuff that's not sustainable so that then by the time mid-february rolls around well you're back to drinking as much as you used to it just doesn't make any sense to me if you want to make lifestyle changes well that that's that's great go back to the gym get on the treadmill lift weights do all those type of healthier things i think it's good for everyone everybody and i'm trying to live that kind of life as well but does that mean that i'm going to do a fad and simply say i'm going to well i'm not going to drink in january nope so if you go to the marquette game go to the marquette game sunday morning at 11 i'm not sure i'm going to be drinking sunday morning at 11 but if you catch me after the marquette game i might have a beer in my hand just saying hey an update on one of the stories we started the program off yesterday the, the story of the police chase that led to that car driving off the the road and going into the KK River. And, I mean, just just when you think it it couldn't have gotten any worse. Of course, the the first evening they found a 19-year-old woman who was in the car. She was dead. The driver of the car, a male, he was dead. And then the the woman's 2-year-old child was in the car with her. That child was dead, and so this led to a number of comments about, well, should the police not have chased? Well, the cops, of course, they didn't know, first of all, that there was a kid in a car. That's number one. Number two, all they knew is that there was this van, this vehicle that had been involved in multiple armed robberies. They tried to pull the vehicle over, and then people fled. And and my point, and I think the, the unanimous consensus of the callers was, of course the police have to chase in a situation like that. Well, it gets a little bit worse. It now turns out that the 19-year-old woman who was killed in the crash, along with her two-year-old daughter, she was also four weeks pregnant at the time of the crash. Huh. Four weeks pregnant at the time of the crash. And... And it's believed that she was involved in these multiple armed robberies that occurred earlier in the day. So here you have a 19-year-old woman who's pregnant, who's driving around with her two-year-old daughter, and who's apparently been participating in armed robberies. Now, we don't know yet whether she took the two-year-old daughter with her when she was engaging in these armed robberies or not, but we know that the kid was in the car afterwards, and she's pregnant. I mean... Again, some people want to point fingers and suggest this is a problem with the police and they shouldn't have chased. I'm sorry, I just don't see it as that. This is a situation where, all right, you had a woman who was engaged in some really bad conduct, who made a number of bad choices, and it affected not just her, but her two-year-old daughter, and in this case now her unborn child, and that is very, very sad. Another story that we mentioned just briefly yesterday, and I'm always amazed at the double standards that are out there. And when I saw this story, I found myself thinking, if this was Donald Trump 
what would the reaction to this story be? Bernie Sanders, the, the liberal icon who might very well have gotten a Democratic nomination. And, and if, if, the, if the cards hadn't been stacked against him by all the Hillary Clinton supporters, Sanders might have won. And, you know, I think you can make a strong argument that Sanders would have had a much better chance of beating Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton did. So anyhow, Bernie Sanders, who's, what, 80 years old, he, he's talking about running again, but he, he's having a lot of problems because now there's all these other liberal icons that are younger. They're out there running as well. But apparently during the 2016 campaign, there were a number of people who worked on the campaign who were coming forward, women, saying that they were victims of of sexism and sexual harassment by members of the Sanders campaign and that higher-ups in the Sanders campaign did absolutely nothing about this. So Bernie Sanders gets pushed on this yesterday. So what? what's his... What's his statement? Well, first of all, he says he apologizes for women who had not been treated appropriately. But he says, well, it's not on me because I was too busy to know what was going on in the campaign. Now, again, think of the double standard here. If this was Donald Trump and Donald Trump said, "Okay, well, maybe all these women were being harassed by members of uh, my campaign staff, but I was too busy to know about it. If Trump tried to say something like that, it would be screaming headlines on every newspaper in the country and pretty much every talking head show on cable TV. I, I was I was too busy to know about it. In other words, nobody in the press would have bought it and it would have been a major story. It's not getting anywhere near the play in the liberal media because I guess for Bernie Sanders, it's okay that he was too busy. Think about what would have happened if it was Donald Trump. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well, I, I'd acknowledge this on the air. We're getting all these texts saying that our, our Internet stream it is not working. If you if you people are saying all you hear is is commercials, <laughs> and a number of people are saying, you know, is it a problem on our end or on on? They're saying, is it our problem or is it a problem with the the WTMJ stream? Well, it, it's apparently it's a problem with our end. Um, I would acknowledge that. Of course, if you can't listen to it on the stream, you, you don't hear that acknowledgement. But we, if you if you are listening to it through terrestrial radio and then you switch over to the stream, you're wondering what happened. We are at least aware of the problem. Here's here's one. Uh, Jill says, Jeff, love the show. Listen every day online from Florida when we're not home in Dousement. I was listening this morning. Everything was fine. Now I'm not hearing anything. Don't know if it's a problem on my end or yours. Well, Jill, it's, it's on our end. Um, I'll listen to your podcast later. Thanks for all your hard work and keeping me company over the years. Well, you are very welcome, but that is the other option. So if you miss some of the show, you can always go and do what Jill is going to do, which is check out the podcast. But we um, we will try to work and see what's going on with the stream, because I know a number of people more and more candidly. I mean, just take advantage of the Internet listening that is out there. All right. Another one of these horrible stories. It happened. Uh, a week and a day ago, this was about 1 a.m. on December 26th, and it, it happened, well, in a, in a small central California town, about 100 miles sort of um, southwest of San Francisco, to, to give you an idea. There was a, a young police officer who'd been working for the local police department for about seven years. His name was Renell Singh, and he's working Christmas night, so this is... This is Christmas Day night and into the next morning. It's one o'clock in the morning. And what happens is he he pulls over a vehicle uh, 
at at an intersection. He had gotten a report that there was apparently they, they thought there was a drunk guy in a silver pickup truck. So, you know, can you go investigate? He pulls over the vehicle. And this is why whenever you hear the phrase routine traffic stop, I, I always cringe because there's really no such thing as a routine, routine traffic stop. Anytime a police officer stops a vehicle, you, you really don't know what you're dealing with. You stop a vehicle because it ran a stop sign or because you think the person's drunk or whatever. You really don't know what you're walking into. So we, we don't know all the circumstances behind this. But this young police officer goes up to the pickup. And what happens is that the guy behind the wheel of the pickup truck shoots and kills the police officer and then takes off. Um, all, all you heard was shots fired. He was shot. Officers who responded to the scene found that he had been shot multiple times. He was taken to the hospital where he ended up passing away. Um, through, through early investigation, they, they figured out who it was that was responsible for this. And it turns out to be a guy who, well, he uses a variety of names. Um, One of the names he uses is Gustavo Perez Arriga. He says his real name is Paulo Vergen Mendoza. But but regardless of, of what his real name is, he is somebody who is in this country illegally. So you have a guy who's an illegal alien. He's in this country, and he gets stopped. He's, they believe he's drunk. He shoots and kills the police officer. Don't know any more about that. But we do know more about the suspect in this case. Number one, he's in this country illegally. Number two, he apparently, going back to 2011, he had been arrested on two separate occasions for drunk driving. Both occasions taken into custody, he never showed up for his court appearances. So there's two outstanding drunk driving things over the last six or seven years. Also turns out that the guy has been in this country, has used numerous aliases, and at least according to some of his own social media pages, has a series of gang affiliations. So here you have an illegal alien murders a police officer in in cold blood and has had various contacts with the criminal justice system, but is still including, you know, absconding, getting arrested, never showing up. Well, this becomes a story because California has a sanctuary city law. And what California law does is it essentially prevents local law enforcement from interacting with federal authorities. And in this case, because these were not felonies, rather they were drunken driving charges, even though local authorities knew or probably knew that this guy was an illegal alien, they did not choose to notify immigration, ICE, about the guy. So ICE didn't have a chance to take him into custody. Now, the California law gets even weirder because it says that, um, in general, in most cases, law enforcement is prohibited from honoring what are called detainers, where you notify the federal government, you notify immigration, and you say, hey, this person's in this country illegally, and immigration then sends out what's called a detainer. They say, okay, if he's about to be released, just call us 
and we'll come and we'll pick him up. Well, the California law prevents, in many, many cases, the use of detainers. They say, well, we're only going to hold him if you have a federal arrest warrant, and we may or may not tell you when he's about to be released. But in this particular case, they were never even notified. Federal authorities were ever, never even notified of the fact that this man, who was in the country illegally, had been taken into custody not once, but twice. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, of course, the wave of the future. The argument is, well, we we don't want to get customs. We don't want to get immigration involved in these cases because if immigration If local authorities start notifying immigration every time there's somebody that's in this country illegally that has contact with law enforcement, well, then people are going to be unwilling to cooperate with law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know about you, but I think this is absolutely capital I insane. It's one thing to say if somebody comes in and reports a crime, that they've been a crime victim or whatever. It's one thing to say we don't want the police to investigate their background to determine if they're in this country legally or illegally. But once you have once you have come into contact with authorities and been arrested, to me there is no reason in God's green earth why Local authorities, once they have arrested somebody, which means that person has done something wrong, there's no reason at all why local authorities shouldn't be working hand in glove with, again, immigration officials, notifying them, hey, we've arrested this guy for drunk driving. He's in this country illegally. Do you want to do something about this? Because if you don't, there is going to be blood on your hands. And the truth is, everybody that interacted with this guy who did not notify law enforcement has blood on their hands in connection with the de- the death of this police officer. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the consequence of these touchy-feely sanctuary cities types of things. If somebody is in this country illegally and they come into contact with law enforcement, I think it is absurd that local law enforcement doesn't notify immigration about this and then let immigration decide what they want to do. It might very well be that immigration is going to make a decision that, hey, we're not going to pursue this for whatever reason. But you got a guy who's a multiple-time accused drunk driver who has absconded, whose social media pages are full of gang activity. You would have thought that maybe some officials out in California would have thought maybe it's a good thing if we get immigration looking at this guy 414-799-1620 did they do the right thing in california is it ever worth not notifying law enforcement when somebody who is in this country illegally gets arrested 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line we discuss in a moment if you're on the line please hold on 1245 jeff wagner wtmj 1247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here, here's the problem. This, to me, it's not conservative, liberal. It's not Republican, Democrat. It's, it's common sense and public safety. If you, if law enforcement comes into contact with somebody, and again, I'm talking about you make an arrest. This isn't somebody comes in to report a crime, but you arrest someone. 
I don't care whether it's for shoplifting or whether it's for drunk driving or whether it's for dealing dope or whatever. And local law enforcement is able to determine that the person is in the country illegally. They should be notifying, they being local law enforcement, should be notifying federal officials and then letting the federal officials decide what they are going to do. This idea that we're going to have this touchy-feely and we're going to have sanctuary cities and we want people to you know, feel free to, to come here and the federal government is evil – The problem is when you do that, you have situations like what happened a week ago in California, and it's blood on someone's hands. A guy with gang ties, been in this country illegally, he's got numerous... Um, he's got numerous aliases. He's got two arrests for drunk driving. He's split on both of those cases. Immigration's never been told. He's drunk again, apparently, and he shoots in cold blood and kills a police officer. And now, okay, now everybody's saying, well, why have we done this? Well, they did it because you've got these sanctuary city rules where cities decide that they don't want to cooperate with federal law enforcement, and this is the result of it. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, good afternoon, uh, hey, Mike. Uh, I think sanctuary cities have a, uh, well, a twofold thing. You know, they, they want to protect innocent people, but they're also putting the illegal people or criminals in. And I just think that the illegal part overrides the other part. So I think that all sanctuary cities should be banned uh, and, you know, abide by the U.S. standards. Well, right. And because, and I mean, thanks to the call, Mike, because this is the this is the effect of it now. I have been an advocate. The problem is you've got some, you've got court law that makes this difficult. I have been an advocate of, of cutting off funding for sanctuary cities. I mean, my analogy has always been that the reason we have a 21 year old drinking age in, in the country, it, it's, it's not a national drinking age. It's state by state. But the reason each state has a 21 year old drinking age is because the federal government said, if you don't have a federal 21 drinking age, we can't require you to do that because it's a matter of states, you know, right you can decide this but if you don't do it we're not giving you a dime of federal highway money well all states need that federal highway money so you have a 21 year old drinking age i have always believed and again there's some court precedent that says maybe you can't do this under the current law so i believe maybe you need to change the law i think if a state decides that it wants to support these sanctuary cities and say we're going to ignore federal law okay fine cut off law enforcement funds now do i think that's a good idea to do it no but what it will do is it will theoretically require the states to rethink these sanctuary city policies which are nothing but pro-criminal and are done primarily so we can be touchy-feely and we can appeal to a a certain element of the the voting population at the expense of public safety. 414-799-1620. Kevin on the North Shore. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Lost Kevin. Let's talk to Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing, Jeff? Hi, Tom. Well, I think, you know, like like this guy, like you said, this guy's been in this country like six, seven years. And At least. these crimes and stuff and done all this other stuff. Now he kills a police officer. And like you say, with the sanctuary cities and all this other stuff, why shouldn't uh, the local law and um, government and feds and everybody else be able to enter, enter um, what do you want to call the word, um, interject or enter... Um, well, just tell them. And everything else and make, and make things go. That's why we've got such a dark and messed up situation. Well, it, it is. Now, thanks for calling, Tom. And again, I, look, I don't know 
what immigration would have chosen to do back in, I think, the first drunk driving arrest was in 2011. If if the community had notified federal authorities that, hey, we picked up this guy, he's been arrested, and by the way, he's now jumped bail, because that's what he did. He jumped bail on, certainly, at the very least, after the second drunk driving arrest, you have some, I mean, think about how insane this is. You have somebody who is illegally in the country, who is using a whole series of, of aliases. They're still not sure what the guy's real name is, but he, he's been in this country. All right, if you want to give him a pass for the first time, gets arrested for drunk driving, but he skips out on that. You know, he absconds. So here, here you have somebody in the country illegally, arrested for the second drunk driving offense while he hasn't showed up for the first one. And by the way, he's in the country illegally. They let him out again. I mean, how nuts is that? At some point in time, first of all, after if I was the judge, and maybe this is one of the reasons I'd never be a judge, there's no way I'd let this guy out after he's jumped bail on the first one. But they let him out again. You would think at that point in time, somebody would say, hey, we've got this guy with gang ties. We don't know exactly who he is. He's jumped bail once. Maybe, Maybe given the fact that he's in this country illegally, maybe we should at least tell the feds. Now, again, I don't know if the feds would have, again, come in and what they would have done. Maybe they would have decided, hey, we're busy. We can't pick them up. But at the same time, wouldn't it have been nice for them to have known that? And the truth is, if somebody had done that, maybe, just maybe, this young police officer would be alive today. David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Happy New Year, Same to you, sir. Um, Yeah, it's a total disaster. And I suspect that that could very easily be here in Milwaukee area now because the new sheriff uh, that's uh, that was elected has made it very clear that he's not going to work with uh, ICE at all in Milwaukee's a sanctuary city. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see something like that here in the Milwaukee area for the simple reason that um, <clears throat> if you're not reporting anything, how do you know, um, you know, a, a situation like this where the person had, you know, been uh, caught, I guess, driving drunk a couple times yep. and released in the community. And it's, and you know, you think what doesn't make sense to me is if once you're elected and you're in these positions, you're supposed to uphold the law, and you're, you know, they're swearing on the Bible, and by it's just making a mockery of the system. And, and these people realize that that's what's happening. It, well, it, it is. Now, thanks for calling. Now, you raise a really interesting point. I, I think the jury is out at this point in time as to what the new Milwaukee County Sheriff is, is going to do. David Clark, you've you got a Milwaukee County board that is incredibly left-leaning and very, very politically motivated, right? They they passed the, the statement of policy saying that we were going to be a, a sanctuary city, and then everybody quickly said, well, that's what they say, but we don't really mean it. And the truth is th- that term, it means different things to different people. It will be interesting, given the fact that you have a new sheriff taking over, what that sheriff's position is going to be. Is he going to work with immigration? Is he going to report people to immigration? Or is he going to kowtow to certain elements of the community in an interest of political correctness and sacrifice public safety? Now, I don't know which way this is going to go, and I'm not prepared to say that the new sheriff is not going to cooperate and is going to turn Milwaukee County into a sanctuary county. 
I think that would be very bad public policy. And I think the first person who ends up, I don't know, being victimized by somebody who should have been subject to deportation, then, then of course, it's going to be a huge story. But it will be interesting to see how the new sheriff proceeds and whether he treats it differently than the last two sheriffs. Bottom line is it will be a litmus test as to whether political correctness is more important or public safety is more important. It's 1257. We got a lot of stuff we're going to talk about in the next hour of the program. Um, Channel 6 is off-spectrum cable. Does anybody care, and I say this from the perspective not of dissing Channel 6, I like Channel 6, but from the perspective of with all the cord cutting going on now, does it matter to anybody what's on a particular satellite provider or a cable provider? We're going to talk about that. A 14-year-old being charged with murder as a result of throwing eggs. Um, the Wall Street Journal calls it the electric Kool-Aid subsidy test. I'll explain that. It's all coming up. Don't go anywhere. It's 1257. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bilstadt, at least we've been getting all these texts from people saying the stream isn't working. And as I asked the producer, I said, and, and again, it, it's, I'm getting all these, the texts are saying, is it our pro- is the problem on our end or on your end? Sure. And, I mean, the problem is on our, our end. I don't know if it's been fixed or not, but I, that doesn't really feel even good enough because if they can't listen to us on the stream, they can't hear me say, it's our fault, not theirs. You know, <laughs> right, just, I, I, feel, I feel bad <laughs> about that, other than to say that I'm told that we're working on it. Hey, it is back up. All right. all right, so it's back up. That's what we want to hear. Great. Um, so it somebody... is quite amazing, by the way, how many people yes. listen via the stream. Oh, and when they can't get it, how many people yeah. mm-hmm. send you polite but somewhat <laughs> irate things? And apparently, the thing I was getting is, all we we don't hear any of the program. All we hear is commercials. You know, it's oh. like, well, okay, that's the last thing. Hey, let me ask you this: when at your house, how how do you consume? Like television, do you have a cable? Do you have just you know the old antennas? Do you have a satellite dish? How do you do it? You know what we we do a little bit of everything. We do have Netflix and Amazon Prime, right? That just kind of happened over the years. It kind of accumulated, didn't right. we have it? Uh, we do have a very very skeleton version of cable, you know, where we don't get very much from it, and uh, we also have an antenna hooked up to one of the TVs. Okay, so, so do you do you get like HBO? Do you get to the nope, nope, you do no none of the pay TV stuff. service? We don't none even get Fox Sports Wisconsin, so we're very, very very thin on the cable stuff. Okay. Do you mind me asking you, do you have an approximate idea of what you pay a month? Uh, I think it's, it's probably tied into the uh, the internet, too. Okay. So it's probably close to 100 bucks, 90 okay. bucks, something like that. All right. I, I, thanks. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, it, it's... This is the, 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 now that it's the second year that we have been in, in the house I'm currently living in. And when I, I, I have... I am not an early adopter. I mean, I've been very, very honest about that. And when... We signed up originally. We we signed up with Spectrum, and mm-hmm. you you got a. They, they had. I want to say it was kind of like a teaser rate, um, that 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 they had for the first year. Well, oh, okay, yeah. we've now Cable used the first year, yeah, and yeah. so now it, it's gone up. It's gone up about thirty or forty bucks. You got to um, pay attention to it, otherwise, right? You know, it, it's gone up about yeah. it's gone up about thirty or forty bucks. Now I, I got a letter on it saying, well, this is still a deal for the second year, but it's gone up thirty or forty bucks. But it's. It, it's it's interesting now. I have be, because it's just the way I consume things, and my wife just kind of shakes her head on on this. But I mean, I, I've got everything. I mean, I've got I've got the the pay TV channels. I got Showtime. I've got the movie channel. Yeah, I've got Cinemax. Yeah. I've got Star. I've I've got I've got all the sports channels. I've got everything you could possibly have. Okay. On top of that, I have there's there's let's see there's one two. 
there's only two of us, so I, I, I understand if you're shaking your head, how could you have this? We have three cable boxes, and then there's also two TVs. There's one in the kitchen that they couldn't run a cable outlet to, and there's one upstairs. And for those TVs, the ones in the spare bedroom, I have those Roku sticks. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that are... Are, that are, so I have the Roku sticks mm-hmm. that are plugged in, but because I'm a Spectrum customer, you don't have to. Once you buy the Roku stick, you don't have to pay extra for streaming services okay. or anything like that. Yeah. You could just go in and you you download the Spectrum app mm-hmm. and you can pick mm-hmm. it up. And I, I've got again the internet, and then I think we signed up for like a phone, but I don't have the phone. I never had them. You know, it just it was all part of the bundle. Right, right. It comes with. Yeah, but but so but it's a couple hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and I I because. I like it and I use it and there's inertia. I've been, you know, I, I don't think that I'm going to end up changing this, but I, I do acknowledge that I think I'm starting to become a dinosaur with all this, this cord cutting that's going on. Well, and there's so many other options besides just the Roku. I mean, many people use Apple TV in that way. Hulu is pretty strong nowadays. YouTube even does it now. So there are ways. I think the thing that gets most people is the sports element. Right. Being able to see the Brewers or the local Bucks play, you know, that type of thing. Missing out on that is why many people will hold on to the cable provider because they're not sure how they consume it a different way. Right, or or the the live TV streaming. You want the local news and, and that yes. type of stuff, yes. you know, which is which is one of these issues. Well, thanks for sharing. Okay. Mm-hmm. This bring, what I, I, I'm leading up to is if you are, if you have Spectrum TV in our area, which is part of, like, charter cable and stuff, you... Um, Channel six is is not on there. It, they're they're in one of these these disputes that have happened from time to time. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when it was Time Warner Cable, Channel four got into a, a rights fee dispute, and Channel four was off Time Warner Cable for I think it was a couple months. I mean, it it went on because here I mean here's the I mean here's the bottom line of it. And Channel six right now is owned by. Tribune, the, the Tribune Broadcasting, and, and they have a number of TV stations all across the country. So it's not just it's not just in in Milwaukee. It's all across the country where there, there's now a TV blackout. And the dispute, in a nutshell, is that the the content provider, in this case the the local television stations, Tribune, they want to be paid a certain amount of money for allowing their programming to be carried on the cable channels. And the cable channels aren't willing to pay as much as Tribune wants. And so that's where this this dispute lies. Tribune, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the cable networks, in this case Spectrum, you know, they, they charge customers like me and perhaps like you, they, they charge us for the services. Now, if they have to pay more to content providers, what ends up happening is either their profit margin gets reduced or they have to raise their fees. And so that's what's going on. And this, again, this happens from time to time. And right now it's affecting people who want to watch WITI and other uh, broadcaster, other, you know, stations across the country that are owned by, um, again, that are owned by Tribune, including some in some big markets, uh, Denver, Houston, New York, Los Angeles, um, St. Louis, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I wanted to discuss the larger issue with you, which is moving forward, the, the relevance of of cable providers you know, moving forward, there's some interesting stuff on, on the whole idea 
of cord cutting. There are, and cord cutting, of course, means people who make the decision that, all right, we're not going to get our entertainment from your typical satellite dish broadcaster or the cable TV company or things like that. It's interesting because there are estimates that, you know, this might be the year where streaming services, streaming services surpass the number of people who have streaming services surpass the number of people who have your traditional pay TV choices. Now, it's a little bit misleading because, for example, like me, there's a number of people out there that end up having both. I mean, I'm a customer of Spectrum Cable, but also I have Netflix. So, I mean, I've, I've got both. But there's a lot of people who don't have that duplication. Eric Bilstadt being one of them doesn't have that duplication. You've got, okay, you've got some of the streaming services, and then you've got an antenna, and then you've got the very basic thing. So there's not that duplication. But this is, they say that this might be the year that more people actually have those streaming services. One of the other things that they are finding is that this might be the make or break year for some of the live TV streaming services like DirecTV Now and Sling TV because a lot of these services that provide, again, the live TV streaming, they're, they're not profitable. They're not making money like some of the other services are. Plus, what you're going to see as the year goes on is more challenges to places, things like Netflix. There's more streaming services that are you know, going to be popping up. They anticipate that Apple is going to be launching its streaming service in the early part of 2019. Later this year, uh, Disney is supposed to launch its own service, and it goes on and on and on. And I will tell you this, as as time has gone on, and I was trying to monitor my TV watching when I, I was on vacation over the holidays, and I did find myself, with the exception of live sports, with the exception of, of live sports, and as my wife will tell you, if there's sports on, I will watch it, I found that the vast majority of the things that I was watching were either on-demand programming or unique programming. I, I've... I've been, you know, born again tough when it comes to Netflix. I'm fascinated by all the stuff that's on Netflix, and I spent a good deal of time binging on some of those series. So, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the future for traditional pay TV? Will more and more people be cutting the cord? Will people be going to the streaming services? Is local TV going to continue to be relevant five years from now, ten years from now, and how will people get it? Are you cutting the cord? Have you cut the cord? And do you miss it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. From a pop culture perspective, I find this to be absolutely fascinating. What is the future going to hold as technology continues to develop? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I do want to mention, just because Fox 6 isn't off the air. Fox 6 is just not being aired on Spectrum cable. There, there's. I mean, you can watch it in the traditional way if you've got an antenna or things like that. The, the reality, though, is 
there, there's a lot of people who aren't going to go to that trouble. That's why this, this, it is a it is a big deal, especially given the relationship that people have with local news, and might be an even bigger deal. You know, once you start to have playoff uh, football playoff games on on Fox, if the deal isn't worked out. But this again, it's an ongoing dispute. This has happened before. It happened with WTMJ a number of years ago. Let's talk to Paul and Racine. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Have you cut the cord? I cut the cord, and what I do is I stream uh, through Hulu Live, and they le- they basically let you type in your zip code. They give you premium channels and your local channels for a really low price. They just came out with it like a month ago, I think it was, and uh, they emailed me because I cut the cord a few years ago. They emailed me for a free trial. I tried it, and I hooked it up. I spent about five minutes on it. I thought it was great. So you don't think you're, you're – there, there's nothing that you're not able to get that you think you would want? No, I, I can get it through some, this new app now. Right. I get Channel 4, 12, the football, baseball. I mean, I think the, I think the companies, the app companies know that people want that stuff, and I think they're making adjustments. Well, I, I do – I mean, thanks. I do think – that this is this is clearly it's it's the wave of the future for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, um, for for those of us especially people like me who are entertainment junkies it was more 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 what can you give me etc. The, the truth of the matter is and I I've got pretty much everything there is to, to get and I, and I pay for it and that that's okay but the truth is I I do only find myself watching maybe 10 or 12 channels. Now, then you go to the whole Netflix thing, and you've got that entire universe of, of stuff that's out there, the movies, the documentaries, the Netflix shows, the um, you know regular TV shows. I mean, not the current seasons, but all the different regular TV shows. And th- there's, no end to, th- there's no end to the amount of entertainment that's out there. And, I mean, I do think that this is going to be a significant challenge to the different pay TV providers. And, again, by that I mean the satellite services and the cable services, you know, moving forward because they, they offer all these different, you know, options that are there. But again, for many of us, those channels that are out there, you know, we, we never, I never watch a vast majority of those channels. If I were to be honest with you, it would probably be less than a dozen channels of the you know the, the regular cable stuff that I that I watch with any degree of regularity 4147991620 Jerry and Glendale Jerry you're on WTMJ good afternoon thank you much uh, my wife and I have access to over 50 over the air channels with our little rabbit ears uh, we have a Roku which gives us access to over 3500 different applications we have five streaming services. We have Netflix, we have Hulu, Prime, Acorn, which is British, right. and uh, BritBox British. The total bill for all five is under $42 a month, and there's many things on Roku that are free. Right. Now, you also have to pay for the Internet service, right? So you have That's that, too. Correct. Right, yeah. But we have that anyways for our computer access. Right. So end of the day, bottom line, including what you're paying for the computer, it sounds like you've got all these different choices for under 100 bucks, including the Internet stuff. That's correct. Plus access to all of the free things, uh, National right. Geographic, PBS, all and many free movie uh, streaming services on Roku. We are happy campers. Can you get live sports? Uh 
we get the sports we're interested in. We get uh, Packer broadcasts. Okay. And when I want to watch, I'm a Badger alum, and a buddy and I go up to the local watering hole <laughs> to watch all the Badger football and basketball. Got, games. got it. So, right, thanks for so for for Big Ten Network or the, those games. That that that's that's a good excuse. It gets it gets you out of the house. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Nate in Sheboygan. Nate, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, thanks Nate. For taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I tell you what, this is finally a chance for those consumers across the country to fight back against the cable companies. Uh, for years and years, they've been overcharging for channels, like you mentioned, that we don't want. And I just feel like this is a, a no-brainer. Uh, you get the channels you want at a lesser price at your convenience. Well, right. It's this whole idea. And again, I've really started thinking, is, and I was really considering this over the course of the last couple of weeks, as I'm looking at all the different channels that are out there that I don't watch. that, And then, and that, in all honesty, I'm never going to watch. You know, I, just, I haven't watched them in 10 or 15 years. I'm not going to suddenly start watching them. But you, they're included in that bundle, and you're paying for them. I think, if nothing else, these cable, the pay providers, they've got to figure out ways to package stuff to be more customer friendly because okay maybe you want espn but you don't need all the other different things that come along with that and i think if they don't figure that out i think they're going to be left behind agreed the only the only thing i have against the hulu live is that it is about 10 to 15 minutes behind game time yeah but you just have to stay off Facebook, make sure you don't see any scores, but I can deal with that. Right. No, thanks. No, that, that is, no, that's, no, that, that's the interesting thing. When I, and, and again, in our, a kit in our kitchen, that's the one that we, we would probably use mostly. That's not hooked up to cable. It, it's got the Roku stick, but you can you you can go through because we're Spectrum customers. You can go through the Spectrum app, but there is a delay, and I don't I don't know if it's fifteen minutes or five minutes or ten minutes, but there is a delay. So if you've got a game on in the kitchen and you've also got it on in the living room, you're going to see stuff that's happened. I, I think this is going to be fascinating, and it's going to be a fascinating story moving forward. This isn't like newspapers and what happened with newspapers, but but it, it's similar to that. And I think, you know, there, it's not going to be as sudden, but I think if I were an executive for the, the cable providers, I'd be sitting there and I'd be thinking long and hard, how are we going to stay relevant with all this new technology that's out there? 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, 37 degrees outside. No big snowstorms, no huge polar vortexes on the way so far. Now, I understand it's only January 3rd. We're, you know, we're, we will probably get something like that. But I guess I've always figured every day where you have moderate weather and no snowstorms, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who, who doesn't love the polar vortex and doesn't love a couple feet of snow, every day like this is a day closer to springtime. And by the way, the other good news is that we're past the winter solstice and the daylight hours are now increasing, increasing gradually, but there's the days are getting, the daylight hours are getting longer. So that's a good thing as well. All right. I want to go where angels fear to tread. I have a, actually a former colleague of mine, um, and, and a friend. He has been 
he he was in contrast to me he he is an early adopter he likes the newest stuff that, that's out there and one of the things that he became a fan of early on was the prius he just loved the prius the the electric the electric vehicles loved them and mocked me on multiple occasions when i would say things like well i had to st-, when i would talk about gas prices he'd say why do you care about gas prices i drive an electric vehicle i drive a prius i could care less about this all right so we we've had the, these ongoing discussions now let me give us a little bit give you a little bit of background on on electric vehicles um electric vehicles which have been around for a while now they are still very very expensive in relation to ordinary automobiles because the batteries that that they they make these 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 EV batteries for the electric vehicles those batteries are extremely expensive and what that means is that the average starting price for an electric car is about $42,000 that that's the average price now maybe you can get now in, we're going to talk about subsidies in a minute, but the average price is about $42,000. That's about $8,000 more than the average price of a new vehicle, and it's $22,000 more than the average price of a new gasoline-powered small car. Not, not talking about SUVs, but if you wanted just an ordinary gasoline-powered small car, you could probably pick one up for around twenty grand. small car. Well, the average electric vehicle, $42,000. And again, it's largely because of the cost of the battery. Back in 2009, once we were going through, you know, the, the economic crisis, President Obama came out with the, this, this plan. We're going to have the economic stimulus. And one of the things that was included in the economic stimulus was a subsidy for electric vehicles. In particular, a $7,500 consumer tax credit for battery-powered cars. So, if you wanted to buy, again, your your you know your 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 Tesla or whatever, you know you could you could get a tax credit for 7,500 bucks, which would end up making this more affordable. And you know many states also offer their own tax credits. So what essentially has been happening is for the better part of the last decade, you have had the government, that would be the taxpayers, have been subsidizing the cost of these various electric vehicles, you know, big time. Despite those subsidies, electric vehicles are not selling like hotcakes. What's happening though is when they went back and they originally passed all this this legislation, it the, the, it was capped at 200,000. By that I mean once 200,000 vehicles are sold, electric vehicles are sold by a particular manufacturer, what happens then is the subsidies start to decrease dramatically and then they go away pretty quickly as well. Well, now you're at a point where for some of these manufacturers, they're hitting that, that, 20, that 200,000 vehicles. I mean, it took them a decade to sell them, but now you're at a point where these subsidies are going away. And the concern is, if these subsidies go away, well, nobody's going to buy these things anymore because the only reason some people bought them in the first place was because, well, I don't want to pay forty-two grand for this, but it's really not forty-two grand because I get a seventy-five hundred dollar tax credit from the feds, and then maybe I can get more from the state, so it makes it more affordable. The concern is, if you take this away, people aren't going to buy it. One of the other interesting things that they have found, and this is perhaps not a surprise, but 
the vast majority of people who are claiming these tax credits are people from upper income categories. In other words, get this, they only found that only 1% of electric vehicle buyers earned less than $50,000. The vast majority of people who were buying these electric vehicles came from households that earned more than $100,000. So what you really do is you have, by giving these tax credits, you have a, a handout in a sense in a sense, to the, you know, the wealthiest Americans, you know, the people who are arguably most in a position to afford to buy one of these cars, but we're giving them a tax break. So this is what the president has to decide. This is what Congress has to decide, which is do you continue to subsidize the purchase of these electric cars or do we let them stand or fall on their own merit? And the reality is if there's no longer going to be these subsidies, chances are they're probably going to fail because people aren't going to buy enough of them. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And see, to me, this isn't a question of should people be able to buy electric cars if they want or not. I mean, that, that's that's an individual decision. That's like saying, should you be able to buy a Lincoln or should you be able to buy, you know, um, a Chevy or whatever? To me, the question is, should the taxpayers be continuing to subsidize people purchasing these electric cars, especially since we now know that the vast majority of the people who are buying them are arguably the people who need the tax credits the least. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Jason and Mequon. Jason, good afternoon. Hey, afternoon, Jeff. I think we should absolutely get rid of the subsidies. This is just another example of government getting involved in making winners and losers out of a particular product. If nobody wanted to buy them for the original price and you had to lower the price, just tells you nobody wanted to buy them for that price. Make them cheaper or, you know. Well, and, the, and of course, and the other thing is, if if we're going, I mean, for everybody out there that talks about, hey, we, we don't want handouts to the wealthy and stuff, this is the ultimate handout to the wealthy. You know, it's the, and, and that's what they're finding. The people that are inclined to buy these, and there's not that many folks out there, but they tend to be people from upper income groups. Well, okay, well, if, if somebody's making a quarter million dollars a year, why should the taxpayers be giving that guy an extra or gal seventy five hundred dollars to buy that car? Pay for the darn car yourself if you want it. Right, exactly. Um, no, th- th- again, th- th- I guess that's how I I look at this. And to me, this isn't a discussion on the merits uh, uh, or demerits of electric cars. I, I I think his battery life has gotten better. I, I understand why they have more of an appeal to some people. They don't to me, but that's okay. That that's just me. I. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be able to buy one. But at this point in time, you know, we had these subsidies. They were put in place in 2009, and they were supposed to be, quote, unquote, temporary. All right, well, now it's 2018. We have the track record. We see where this is going. And, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, Jason. This is government picking winners and losers. But it's also it's an incredible to, to the uh, when you want to talk about things that are regressive. These are tax credits that overwhelmingly the way they work out in real life 
benefit the people who probably need them the least. And I think it's way past time for these electric cars to rise and fall on on their own merits. And if if people think they're worth forty two grand on average, fine, pay the forty two grand and, and buy the car. But I don't think the taxpayers should be subsidizing this anymore. Let's talk to Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, a lot of my thunder was just stolen by that call about being uh, subsidizing winners and losers. But I mean, um, again, these uh, cars are, you know, the the specific purpose of buying these cars is to suppose we cut down on carbon footprint when. How much of that carbon footprint is it actually in making that battery? Yeah. And so you're you're subsidizing, you're actually subsidizing more pollution if you're if that's your supposed purpose of uh, subsidizing these vehicles. You know, it, it's yeah. Thanks. You know that. You know, Dave, you raise an interesting point because there's some studies out there that, that say that the that the total CO2 emissions from electric cars can even exceed some of those of conventional gas vehicles depending on what fuel is producing the electricity to charge the battery now keep in mind i mean these batteries have to be charged you don't when when you you, electricity comes from somewhere i mean electricity comes from somewhere i understand there's some people out there who think you know you just throw this switch on the wall and and magically it's there well i mean our our friends at we energies will tell you no you, you have to generate this electricity somehow and that means that that electricity that's used to charge the electric vehicle that is being produced somewhere and depending on where that's being produced is it a coal fired plant etc it could actually if you're talking about carbon emissions it could take more uh, more carbon emissions to produce, if it's a coal-fired plant, for example, to produce the coal, which produces the electricity, which charges the car. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not against electric vehicles. If you want to buy one for the people that want to buy one and swear by it and be able to save all the money on not having to stop at gasoline stations and all, God bless you. I don't have an issue with it. But moving forward, we did this. We had these subsidies for the better part of 10 years. At some point in time, I think you have to let them expire and then let the thing, the cars, compete or not compete on the free market. And if they end up, if it because of consumer demand, we've decided we don't want these, well, okay, then the consumers have spoken. Denny in Wapaka. Hi, Denny. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I'm, I'm not with you on this. I, I don't want to subsidize electric cars, but we just put $1.2 trillion tax break in the richest among us. And I own two companies, and I do very well. So it benefited me. But this subsidy, compared to the tax breaks that we just saddled our grandchildren with, they're infinitesimal. You know, the other issue is not the electric cars. If we want to cut the carbon footprint, we have to raise the mileage standards on our fleets. And we just stopped doing that. So I, I agree with you that we don't need to subsidize this stuff. But the real subsidy is the one and a half trillion we added to the debt for our grandchildren on subsidizing the richest among us. Well, I don't know that I agree that it's thanks to call Daddy. I don't know that I agree that it's the, the, the richest among us. But to me, again, it's apples and oranges. If we want to talk about individual subsidies and tax breaks and incentives and things like that, I'm willing to discuss them on an individual basis. To me, this is just one that doesn't make sense. Now, here's an interesting text. Jeff, my husband and I are on our third gas electric gas electric vehicle. Um, I don't think the tax credit should be continued. I think if you love the electric vehicles like we do, you'll buy one anyways. We love it. We'll continue to buy them as they move forward. Yeah. Now, see, I get that. And I mean, I'm not arguing uh, again against 
uh, against that. If you want it, you know, buy it. If uh, I, I think if nothing else, this it's going to do one of two things. If you remove the federal tax credit, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to force the the companies that make these out of business if there's not and there hasn't been a huge demand for them i mean 200,000 vehicles per particular manufacturer over 10 years that that's not exactly like a lot of vehicles that are being sold but it's going to force either the the manufacturers to stop making the vehicles or it's going to force them to find a more efficient way to do this. Again, the, the big cost is the cost of the batteries. So maybe this will be, all right, now it's not getting subsidized. If we want to sell these cars, we have to figure out a way to do this in a cheaper, more efficient fashion, as opposed to right now where there really hasn't been that much of an incentive because the government has ended up picking up the the. You know, picking up the slack. Bottom line, if you love the electric cars, I don't have an issue at all with that. I think that that's tremendous. But I do think at some point in time, you know, the gravy train has to to stop. You know, we've had this discussion with regard to, you know, ethanol as well, as long as we're talking about, you know, automobiles and the things that make automobiles run. You know, you, you've got, you know, ethanol that without the federal government subsidies, which you know go to predominantly Iowa corn farmers, and again Iowa first in the nation caucus to decide you know who's going to be the president. You have all these presidential candidates who go to Iowa on a regular basis, and they they just bow down to the you know the the corn growers ethanol lobby. I'm not against ethanol. I, I I'm not, but at the same time I, I do think. It'd be interesting to say, let's let ethanol compete on its own merits. And what you'll find is that if you take away some of the subsidies that are out there, ethanol, well, it, it's it's not cheaper than the regular gas. I'm just saying you don't need the government to pick winners and losers, and that's what happens in this area. Okay, For, we've got a lot of stuff coming up left on today's program. I sent out a tweet about this. You can follow me. It's, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. President Trump had a very, very bizarre cabinet meeting that was open to the press yesterday. There was one aspect of that cabinet meeting and something the president said that I want to talk about. And I want to ask, I guess we're going to start with the question of, do you think he really believes what he said? Stick around. That's coming up. It's 157. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We we're talking about President Trump in this bizarre news conference as part of a cabinet meeting yesterday. If you want to see some of the things he said, if you follow me on Twitter, it's, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link out there to one of the stories. The big, I'd say local, but it's the big statewide story that's out there is the Packers coaching search. And there's reports that, you know, maybe the, the, the hot offensive coordinator in New England. Um, he's turned down an interview with the Cincinnati Bengals, and the only people he's scheduled to interview right now with is the is the, is the the Packers, and that's leading to some speculation. Of course, we had Larry McCarron on earlier in the day, and he's saying, well, the, the deal is if you're a disciple of Bill Belichick, and B- Bill Belichick, very, very successful head coach for the New England Patriots, but Belichick is an anomaly. Belichick is one of these guys who has pretty much complete control, and he's made it work. Um, Many of 
his assistant coaches who have gone on to coach in the NFL, they have not succeeded. And with a couple notable exceptions, giving somebody complete control isn't typically the way to go. So the question becomes, if you were to hire somebody from the New England Patriots, would they insist on complete control of all football operations? Because it's pretty apparent that the Packers, that's not what they're that's not what their model is going to be. So there's this, you know, all this speculation. And there's a number of, you know, various coaching opportunities or coaches that are out there that have, again, varied experience and bring various pluses and minuses. The, I, I, had a, I was listening to a couple people talk about this yesterday. One of the things that makes the Packers' job so attractive is the fact that in addition to lots of money and a great fan base and you're, you're not reporting to a, a meddling owner, uh, you, you've got, again, you've got Aaron Rodgers, who last season notwithstanding is, is arguably, I don't know if he's the best quarterback in the NFL. You can argue that he's been the best quarterback in the NFL over the last 10 years, and he's clearly a great player. I think this year was a down year. Most people would agree on that, but there were a lot of different things that were going on, and I think there's many of us who believe that this was kind of an anomaly and fully expect Aaron Rodgers to to bounce back. But one of the things that you know I, I heard a lot of people saying was, all right, could could this be a, a problem? If Aaron Rodgers doesn't like the new coach, is that going to create an issue? Do you have to figure out this is going to be a coach that's going to get along with him? Um, you, you've got to essentially be worried about Aaron Rodgers. And I got into a discussion with somebody the other day, and I said, look, human nature being what it is, I don't think this is a problem. Now, hear me out on this. Aaron Rodgers just turned 35 years old, and that's, that is getting up there. There, you know, Nowadays, the model is professional quarterbacks, the, the great ones, can play longer. Um, you know, what's Tom, um, Tom Brady is 41. That, that's, you know, but that Tom Brady is a special type of athlete. You know, Drew Brees is in his upper 30s. Philip Rivers, the same thing. And I, I lump Aaron Rodgers into that category. But the truth of the matter is Aaron Rodgers is, is 35. And while, you know, everybody hopes and thinks he's got a couple more good years left in him, and I believe that. The, the reality is he's, he's not 25 years old anymore. He's got this window. And I think he understands that, you know, he's got this limited window. Here's the other thing. The Packers, I don't believe, are going to hire somebody and say, all right, you've got a year. I I don't think that makes any sense. I think they're going to hire somebody. They expect that person to win now. But at the same time, it's going to be somebody who has a couple years to, you know, put in his, you know, put his stamp on, on the team. So I guess what I'm saying is for people who are out there saying, well, you, you have to Aaron Rodgers is going to be a problem or something like that. I don't think so, because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to realize that, look, this if he wants to win another Super Bowl, and I believe he does, th- this is his window of opportunity that's now. And he's pretty much he's going to have to get along with whoever the coach is because that's going to be the coach for the next couple years and they're going to have to figure out a way to make it work and you know what i think aaron Rodgers is enough of a professional and i think he's enough of a i think he's enough of a team player and i think he's a talented enough guy that i think he's going to figure out a, a way to to make it work i was listening to these two guys in a bar the other night say well we think aaron Rodgers is going to be a problem 
I don't think he's going to be a problem. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is whoever it is that the Packers hire to be the coach, whether it's the guy from New England or somebody else, first of all, they're going to come in knowing that they have an incredibly talented quarterback who has a few years left and wants to win another Super Bowl. But I don't think that quarterback is going to be a problem for them because I think that quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, I think he recognizes that his window is closing and he wants to win. And, you know, the way you win is by, all right, getting on board, going along with the program. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a problem. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be the type of player you think that's going to scare off maybe some of these potential coaches, or is this going to be seen as an asset? Will those good coaches want to come to Green Bay because, hey, you've got the opportunity to play with somebody who is, again, arguably maybe one of the best that has ever played the game? I think whoever they hire, it's going to be a good mixture. 414-799-1620. Should we be concerned about Aaron Rodgers in this new coaching choice? I don't think so. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two eighteen, Jeff Wagner, WPMJ. I think it's fascinating the way people see different issues. I have a text here. Jeff, Aaron Rodgers is going to be problem number one for the new coach. He's always hurt. Well, I don't think that's a fair comment. I don't think he's always hurt. I don't think he's a team leader at all. This is the texter. Uh, I think the Packers' best bet would be to trade him. Huh. I, I, I don't claim to know that much about like football teams and stuff like that. I do feel confident in saying that the last thing, the absolute last thing that the Green Bay Packers are going to do this offseason, regardless of who they pick as the defensive coach, as the head coach, regardless of what they do with Randall Cobb or Clay Matthews or Nick Perry or any one of a number of other, Brian Balaga, you name it, I don't know what they're going to do with those players. I am reasonable. I am as I am as certain as I can be that Aaron Rodgers will be on the team next year. I don't think anybody's going to be trading Aaron Rodgers. That that would be an interesting conversation if the Green Bay general manager were to go into Mark Murphy and say, hey, I've decided I think we should trade Aaron Rodgers. Don't think that's going to happen. Here's another text. Bill O'Connor walks says, Aaron's attitude has changed over the last few years. He's more about himself than the team. That is obvious. Let the bosses hire the coach and be done. He should not have a say in it. Um, well, I, I mean, I think here's the bottom line. I think that's my point. I think Roger's going to realize that. This is whoever the Packers choose to be the coach is you know, for all intents and purposes, this is going to be the coach that's probably the coach for the rest of Aaron Rodgers' career, at least the next couple of years. If, if Aaron Rodgers can play till he's 45, God bless him. I, I think that's great. But you got to figure that, you know, sometime between 35 and 40 or 41, that's that's probably going to be it. And now he's still at the height of his abilities. That's just the reality. No matter how good shape you keep yourself in, you're, you can't win when you're fighting a battle with father time. Um, I think... I, I don't think he's going to be a problem. I just don't see him being a problem because, again, he wants to win. And if you want to win, you're getting ready to get on board. I suspect the Packers are going to act relatively soon, so we should know something relatively soon as well. All right, let's switch gears. President Trump 
invited the the press into a, a cabinet meeting yesterday. And I, I think it would be fair to describe it as as somewhat as somewhat bizarre. Um, you had a number of cabinet members who essentially were talking about how great, you know, cabinet, how great President Trump was. Um, it, it was sort of a, the way I've seen it described, and I, I only saw the highlights of it. It was a 95-minute stream of consciousness sort of defense of the Trump presidency and, and his worldview, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that, that caught me was the thing he said about the Soviet Union and Afghanistan. Now, let me, let's give a quick history lesson. The Soviet Union in, in a 70, 1979 invaded Afghanistan. They got, Afghanistan was to the Soviet Union what Vietnam was to the United States. It became a, a quagmire. Um, lots of Soviet resources were poured into it. They, they weren't able to, and they, it, it just whether it was the politics or the terrain or whatever, it, it just it ended up becoming again sort of like Vietnam for the Soviet Union. At some point in time, the Soviet Union just said enough is enough, and, and they pulled out and they left. Interesting discussion of this. If you've ever seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War or read the book, Charlie Wilson was a congressman from uh, the from Texas. And he was played by Tom Hanks in the movie. And he's sort of, you know, Charlie Wilson sort of um, surreptitiously managed to get all sorts of government funding that bought weapons that were ultimately funneled to some of the resistance fighters. Now, some of those resistance fighters ultimately became militarized against the U.S. and radicalized. But that's another story. So anyhow, here's what President Trump is, is saying. Keep in mind, Soviet Union got into Afghanistan in 1979. They, they backed out in 1989, around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Here's what the president said. Russia used to be the Soviet Union. Afghanistan made it Russia because they went bankrupt fighting Afghanistan. Russia. The real reason Russia was in Afghanistan was because terrorists were going into Russia. They were right to be there. They were right to be there. Russia was right to invade Afghanistan, is what he says. The problem is it was a tough fight, and literally they went bankrupt. They went into being called Russia again as opposed to the Soviet Union. You know, a lot of these places you're reading about are no longer part of Russia because of Afghanistan. So what he's saying is the Soviet Union was right to invade Afghanistan, and it was Afghanistan that that broke that essentially broke the the back of the Soviet Union. Well, okay, I, I think anybody with a knowledge of history, their head was exploding when they heard this yesterday, because the the truth is that there weren't terrorists striking into the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. Um, nobody ever claimed that. The, the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan as part of an effort to prop up communism, but not because terrorists were striking into the, the, the homeland. And then for the president to say they were right to be there is really kind of an incredible statement because no president of the United States has ever argued that the Soviet Union was right to be in Afghanistan. Because keep in mind, the United States was 
supplying arms to the rebels helping to fight the Soviet Union. It goes on and on and on. The idea that the Berlin Wall collapsed because of the Soviet involvement in Afghanistan, I think most people don't believe that to be the case either. Clearly, just like Vietnam was a problem for the United States, the involvement in Afghanistan was a problem for the Soviet Union. But the reason the Soviet Union collapsed was because the economy just fell apart. But anyhow, that's not what the president said yesterday. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I, I try to play it straight when it comes to President Trump. I try to applaud him and give him credit when I when he does things that I think are are appropriate. And I also concede that he doesn't get any breaks at all in the mainstream media. And I think there are a number of good things that came out of the Trump administration for the first two years. At the same time, I, I haven't I'm, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid and especially as somebody who who knows history and pays attention to history and remembers the Reagan years and remembers the Cold War, when I hear the president say that the Soviet Union was right to invade Afghanistan, that they were right to be there, and that they were there because there were terrorists in Afghanistan who were lashing out at the Soviet Union. The the only thing I can say is, what? what? What are you talking about? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you hear the president say things like this, is it, well, he's just puffing, it doesn't matter what he's saying, or is this just an example of somebody who just doesn't understand relatively recent American history? And is it a little bit troubling that you have a president who apparently thinks Russia did the right thing when it invaded Afghanistan. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, when I heard the president say these things yesterday, it was it was scary and it was a head-scratcher because it's almost like he couldn't really believe this. Could he? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, I understand what was happening at this cabinet meeting yesterday. President Trump, who uh, announced uh, that, that he wants to pull the U.S. out of Syria immediately. Now, he's starting to backtrack on that a little bit, and he wants to pull the U.S. out of Afghanistan. And that's caused that's caused a lot of angst. You have the Secretary of Defense who resigned. You have a number of conservatives who who are saying, "What? What do you mean? You you pull you pull U.S. troops out of Syria? Now nobody wants them there forever, but you suddenly pull them out of Syria. And what you've pretty much done is you've you, you've guaranteed that Iran is going to be able to use Syria as a terrorist launching base. Almost nobody thinks this is a good idea, except Russia, China." And the, the premier of Turkey. Okay, yeah. So if you want to make Russia and China happy, right, get get rid of U.S. troops in these various locations. So I understand the point the president is making. The point the president is trying to make is that, look, the, the Russian involvement, just like U.S. involvement in Vietnam ended in a quagmire. Russian involvement in Afghanistan entered ended in a quagmire. So, you know, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't duplicate that mistake. And I, I understand 
that to an extent. Of course, our involvement in Afghanistan isn't like what Russia's was. But but putting that aside, I, I understand that basic premise, and that's fine. And if he wanted to say that as a justification for this is why we need to pull American troops out of these different places, that would be fine. But that's not what he said. He said, well, Russia was right to invade Afghanistan. Afghanistan was launching terrorist attacks into Russia. That None of that None of that happened. It, it, it's just, it's not true. And I guess, I, I think if you're using that belief to justify foreign policy decisions in 2018, I'll be honest, it's a little bit scary. Chad in Brown Deer. Chad, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. Uh, so a couple points. Um, my, my first is... Um, Trump has a tendency to talk around corners a lot of the time. You know, he, he, he doesn't know how to state things very directly. And I'm curious if his statement about this had something to do with the fact that that Russia's involvement in Afghanistan is ultimately what won us the Cold War because they, they essentially bankrupted their military over mm-hmm. there. Um, and I wonder if that's what he was trying to say. But I haven't seen the whole statement, so I, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know for sure that you can get there yeah. from right. where I'm saying. Though I, I think, at least from that perspective, it was a good thing that they went into Afghanistan because the outcome it clearly benefited us. It probably wasn't the greatest for the Afghani citizens. Yeah, I, I don't. Right, I think he was. I, I think in his own way, the point he was trying to make is is a version of what you just said that that you know, and, and I, look, I. That, you know, Russia got involved in, in this, Russia got involved in this war and it ended up, like you say, costing them a ton of money and was a factor in the, the fall of the Soviet Union. And I think that's true to an extent. It was a factor. But um, the idea that they were right to go in there and I, that that's. If he's saying these type of things, I guess, Chad, he needs to be a lot more careful. Words matter, I guess, especially when right. they're coming from the president of the United States. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with that. He, he, you know, even if he means something well, a lot of times he says it so poorly that it just comes out the wrong way. Yes, um, and and I really, I just, I don't like that. I get really frustrated with him. Right. No, thanks. Um, again. Right. No, thanks again. See, and that's where I am. I mean, if, look, if if you want to say, um, Afghanistan has been a quagmire for forever. And, you know, it, it didn't work well when the Russians were in there. That's why we need to get troops out. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I get it. You, you can make that point and then reasonable people can disagree. But then when you go on to, to say, well, you know, but Russia was right to get in there in the first place and because they were being threatened with terrorists and stuff like that, that's, that's where it kind of all goes off the rails. And, you know, it, it's almost, when it comes to history, I, I guess it, it's almost like a couple weeks ago you had the um, the Golden State Warrior player Steph Curry who w- was talking about how he thinks the whole moon landing was a fake. And uh, who would normally care what Steph Curry thinks? Except you've got you know millions of school kids who want to be NBA players who look up to him who are going to hear that and they're going to go to their teachers and they're going to say, "Well, are you, are, are, you know, Steph Curry says it's a uh, it's a fake. He he wouldn't lie to us. He's now subsequently backed off on that." Same thing is true with the president of the United States. If you want to justify policy decisions based on history, that that's great. I, and I mean, I think that's what makes sense. But you don't you have to know. Don't you have to know your facts? And again, I I understand. I'm going to get emails from people saying, "Well, are you you're bashing Trump again?" Look, here's the bottom line: If Bill Clinton or Barack Obama had said anything 
remotely resembling something like this, there would have been just outrage, appropriately so, on the right. Appropriately so, and I would have probably been one of the people that were leading it. Well, all right. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to just not say anything simply because, well, it's a Republican president. You, you've, what you say, especially as the president of the United States, makes a huge difference. And if you're going to argue history to justify current policy positions, well, you better darn sight get the history right. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, interesting. The um, we we have a spring election coming up. I, I understand that people they go, oh gosh, is there another election? Didn't just we get just get done with them? Yes, we we just got done with one. But there are a number of interesting races coming up. There's going to be a primary election in February, and then you're going to have nonpartisan races, which means. Uh, particularly judicial races, that's going to be in early April. And you have a couple interesting ones, both statewide and locally. Locally, if you live in Ozaki County, the sitting judge, Joe Voiland, who has been very, very controversial, he's he's stepping down after one six-year term. This has been kind of interesting. It's I'll make it interesting. I understand people say, oh, who cares about a judge in Ozaki County? Well, here's the deal. Six years ago, there was a, a sitting judge, Tom Wolfgren, well-respected, who I, I think, if, if, if you believe in temporary insanity, Wolfgren went temporarily insane, and he signed a Scott Walker recall petition, right? Signed a Scott Walker recall position, petition. Now, of course, in Ozaki County is, is very, very Republican. And this this became an issue in the race. And Joe Voiland ran against Wolfgram. And he, and he pretty much won based on the fact that uh, Wolfgram had signed this, this recall petition. When Voiland came into office, and, and here's where it gets a little bit tricky. The, the reality is in courthouses across the state, judges don't like it. When people run against other judges, that's just I feel comfortable making that as a general statement because judges don't like to have to raise money and they don't have to run for reelection. They like to run unopposed and largely they are. And the word gets out that, okay, if somebody if somebody runs against one of my fellow judges, well, maybe that means that they're going to run um, against me. So I, I think clearly the the sitting judge Wolfgram was, was well liked, and there's no question the new judge Voiland, he he had some you know people were were skeptical about him. You know, he wasn't part of the courthouse crowd when he came in, so I, I think there was an element of that. Now the problem is he was also extremely controversial, and things went from bad to worse. Um, he ended up it ultimately he ended up making accusations about the clerk of court and there was an investigation and they found no wrongdoing and he wasn't satisfied with that and ended up filing a lawsuit at some point in time against the publisher of a local paper out there claiming defamation and it, it got so bad that there was almost like no communication between any of of the parties in other words it was just a hot mess and in my opinion there was a lot of blame to go around on this but Judge Voiland decided after one term he's not going to run for re-election again. So this now makes it an open seat. There's only three judges in Ozaki County. So 
uh, so there's now four lawyers that are running for the, this open seat, and there's going to be a primary in February, and that'll decide the, the final two. It's going to be a really, really interesting race, and we, we probably will spend a lot of a little bit of time talking about it because it's one of these races where you got four lawyers who are now running for the seat, several of whom had decided that they were going to run beforehand, before Voiland even announced that he's going to step down. So this is going to be kind of an interesting race, and it's something that we're going to focus on because it's going to be a contested race. The one race that everybody should care about is for the state Supreme Court. Right now, the balance of power on the court Four judicial conservatives, three liberals. One of the liberals, former Chief Justice Shirley Abramson, who has been on the bench forever. I mean, since the 70s. She is stepping down. So she she's going to step down. She holds one of the liberal seats. There is going to be a very, very contested primary. Lisa Neubauer, who was formerly in private practice, and she has some significant connections to the Democratic Party. Um, She's generally supported by Democrats. She's running for the seat. She's being challenged by Brian Hagedorn, who is, um, again, ties. He's also an appellate court judge. He's got ties to Scott Walker. So there's no question you've got a conservative and you've got a liberal. The liberals in this state are energized. Uh, Rebecca Dallet. One last April, she was a liberal running for the court. She ended up winning. Tony Evers won. The left in Wisconsin is incredibly energized, and they feel this is an opportunity to win this seat and then pick up another conservative seat next year when that comes up, and then you're going to have a liberal conservative swing on the court. A lot of excitement, a lot of energy about that on the left. The question is going to be, can the right match that? And I will tell you that... um, you know, Brian Hagedorn is a very, very good judge, very, very good lawyer. He would be an excellent addition to the court. The question becomes, though, you know, given the temperament now of this state, is it really still a purple state, or have we, are we starting to make a permanent swing back to um, and turning this into a blue state? This is going to be a race that I think attracts a lot of national attention. My guess is it's going to attract a lot of money. Some people say, oh, Lisa Neubauer, she's the liberal. She's going to win big. She's going to win easy. I don't necessarily see that as happening. But this is a race that we're going to talk a lot about. That's a vote that's coming up in April. And everybody who lives in the state of Wisconsin gets a chance to cast that vote. So a couple things to pay attention with there. Here's a piece of information that I don't think is particularly good news. Bradford Beach, right down at the lakefront, of course, if you drive down Lincoln Memorial Drive, you see it. Bradford Beach has, in my opinion, over the last couple of years, gone through a complete and total renaissance. Ten years ago, Bradford Beach, there was nothing going on down there. You had sort of like a crappy food stand that was in the area. But there, there wasn't anything besides the, the beach itself in Lake Michigan to attract people down there. You saw a renaissance along the lakefront. It started, um, you had the Bartolotas 
uh, the North Point custard stand that went in into that parking lot down there, and it's a huge attraction. And now, instead of rival gangs that decide they want to park in that parking lot and see how they can get into fights, now you've got something that attracts families. North Point custard, huge thing. Further to the north, you had... You know, the the whole development of Bradford Beach, and you had the, the company, Surge, which is responsible for a lot of the really good restaurants in, in Milwaukee. Surge had the contract to operate concessions down at Bradford Beach, not North Point, but the other places. They're the ones, if you saw those Tiki Hut bars and the beach tents and all the volleyball competitions, that was that was Surge. I mean, they were operating it, and I think they did an absolutely tremendous, tremendous job. Well, in what is not a good piece of news, Surge has announced that um, their their contract with the county had come to an end and that they're, they're not interested in bidding on a new contract because the reality is it took a lot of time, it took a lot of energy, and they, even though they did a great job, they weren't getting the return on their investment that they needed. So, um, they've been running that, that concessions operation since 2012. They've done a great job, in my opinion. Again, it's the Tiki Hut bars, all the different things that were there. But now they've said enough is enough. We weren't making enough money. The county apparently didn't go do whatever the county needed to do to try to bring them in. And so now you're going to be turning it over to another operator. Hopefully they'll be able to make it work. But it worked because Surge did such a great job with it. Without Surge there, my guess is it's got nowhere to go but down, and that is not good for the area. Keep in mind, Milwaukee County, while they made it difficult for North Point, what, a year or two ago to stay, North Point is still there. Um, This departure of Surge Group from Bradford Beach, though, not good news at all for people who enjoy the lakefront. The challenge is going to be to see if they can find somebody else to do it half as well, and my guess is that's going to be tough. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what's going on on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.